Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in French Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest in this episode is Emile Chabal, the author of France, and the book was published by Polity Books in 2020. Hi there, Emile. Hi. So welcome back to New Books in French Studies. I think we spoke, Emile, about five years ago about the divided republic, nation, state, and citizenship in contemporary France that was published by Cambridge UP in, uh, in 2015. So yeah, it's great to have you back. It's lovely to be back. This is this is the coolest podcast in town. So I, I, I've been I've been writing the book just to get back on 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 this podcast. Well, I'm really delighted to to be able to speak with you about this book. Uh, I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything about this book is kind of fantastic. Like the format, the size. I don't know how many inches or centimeters this is wide and long, but it's just, it feels really good to hold in your hands. And it's just a, it's just a pleasure to read. So congratulations on, on all of that. Emile, can you just tell us a little bit about where you've been this past year and more and, uh, and how you've been doing, how you and yours have been doing during this global pandemic? Well, I live in Edinburgh in Scotland, um, and that's pretty much where I've been since uh, since March last year. Um, the the restrictions imposed on people living in in Scotland, particularly, there are different. There have been different regulations in different parts of the UK. So Scotland has had its own journey through the pandemic, uh, but the restrictions imposed on on Scots um, have at times been pretty severe, um, and you know we haven't. Uh, been allowed to move uh, from initially, of course, you were not really supposed to leave the house. Um, but even in the sort of the latter stages of uh, of the pandemic, and particularly with the the second wave that hit the UK um, in early 2021, we were we were not really allowed to leave Edinburgh, the city of Edinburgh. So um, mm-hmm. the sense of confinement has been has been very real, um, and I think that's that's affected me a lot because I. I've always liked to move, um, and I've always found that that movement, um, displacement, what the French would call dépaysement, um, mm. helps me think, and it stimulates things uh, in me. So not being able to move has been quite a challenge. But fortunately, I'm I'm well, um, and so are my family. Mm. Well, I'm glad to hear that part. I mean, you did manage to. We'll talk about this later, perhaps, you know, because the you close the book reflecting on the, I guess, the first months of, of, of COVID-19 and, and the pandemic when, when you were finishing up the book. So that that's pretty impressive that you managed to finish something uh, during this period of time. And, and I know you've just from following you on social media, I know you've had some opportunities to talk with people about the book. Uh, so, so I hope we'll get a chance to to hear a little bit about what that's all been like. So, I mean, let's just start by, you know, why this book? Where did where did this project come from? How did you decide to write a book like this? I want us to talk about the form and the audience that you have anticipated for the book and that you that you set out to write for. So, but but where did the idea come from? Well, as you could imagine, um, deciding to write a book about. Uh, a period in French history um, is not usually something that sort of spontaneously occurs uh, to, uh, to to an academic. I mean, we tend to think precisely actually in terms of project, mm. and you use that word project. Um, this wasn't a project in the classic sense that mm. you know I I imagined something um, I I wrote 
perhaps grant proposals or ideas um, down. I tried to build a project which would involve lots of primary research and so on. Actually, this was this was a commission, a straightforward commission. Um, Polity Press uh, a few years ago launched um, a new book series of national histories. So the brief was give a short, and short is very important, the book is only 45,000 words, um, give a short introduction to the contemporary history of Nation X. Um, and already um, when I was uh, commissioned to, uh, to, to to write this book, there were a couple of other volumes in the pipeline. I think um, the book on Russia had come out the book on Syria as well, Japan. So I think the idea on the part of, of Polity was to produce pocket-sized um, uh, volumes that would serve as introductions to uh, the recent history of particular nations. Um, and they approached me with this idea. My first uh, response was was to recoil and say, there's absolutely no way I could possibly <laughs> write a book like this. I could never get near a project of this kind, in part because there are so many really very, very good textbooks about mm. um, modern and contemporary France. And we're, we're not short of, uh, of books. It's not it's not as if France is a country that has not been covered in um, uh, the kind of English language academic synthesis market. So um, my first response was no way. And I mean, I was... <laughs> slightly persuaded slightly cajoled by uh, by the, the the editors um and the only reason that i end up saying yes um was because the book was very short and i thought that the brevity of the book would make it possible for me to do something different and also would get me out of the problem of completeness in other words mm. i wouldn't have to talk about everything whereas if you're commissioned to write a textbook on france 1848 to 1939 or something the expectation is that you'll cover almost everything whereas here there was no such expectation and mm -hmm. and I thought that would be quite liberating I, I slightly regretted my decision further down the line but, <laughs> um, but initially I thought that would be liberating right I haven't seen any or read any of the other um, books in the series the polity histories these this national series are they all defined chronologically uh, and bound in different ways like this book is focused on the post-Second World War period? Was that your decision? Was that something you were asked to do? How, how does that fit in the, the chronological scope of, of this book? As far as I can tell, um, the brief was the 20th century, mm. broadly construed. And the idea was to focus a little bit more on, on politics, right? I mean, Polity Press traditionally right. <laughs> published sense. those sorts of books, right? So um, there were the sort of these inbuilt biases, if you like, into the commission. But uh, I was the one who chose the, the more specific bounded chronology. And, and, and I, I start the book uh, in 1940, right after the fall of France, um, and I go all the way to the present day. And um, so I don't cover in depth the interwar period uh, or even the, you know, the first decade of the 20th century. Of course, I do go back to that, and I have to go back to that at different mm -hmm. points. But, but I, I decided not to make it the focus. And, and part of that was because... I chose this thematic structure, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But that mm -hmm. that thematic structure worked for me, at any rate. It worked best um, 
for the period 1942 to the present. I want to ask a little bit about, you know, your imagined readers, well, from the press and just for you as you were working on this and, you know, the people you mentioned in your acknowledgments, in addition to many, you know, scholars and interlocutors that you've had over the years, you you talk about the students that you've taught. And I, I really appreciated that moment in the acknowledgments. I think we don't, we talk about our teaching as scholars, we talk about our research, um, I, I really appreciate those moments when scholars, whatever the, the book is and whatever the nature of the, the publication is, you know, point in the direction of the ways that their their students and their teaching have had a role to play. So, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about how the book has come from those audiences of yours and, and interlocutors of yours and also who you imagine might read it? So that, that that's a good question, because I don't think you can embark on a, a project of this kind uh, without an audience. It doesn't work. Um, mm. And that's something I, I realized very quickly. Um, it's not like a, a monograph where, you know, in a sense, your your audience is posterity, right? You're, you're trying to produce something um, that will stand the test of time as a piece of, you know, rigorous scholarship. Mm-hmm. And of course, you want to make it accessible. But 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 the idea is to, to lay down a marker, in a sense, for whatever the, the, the topical project is. You can't really do that when you're writing a synthesis because um, you're not laying down a marker. You're not adding to, uh, to 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 that sort of core scholarship. Instead, what you're doing is bringing lots of things together. Um, and so you need to have an idea of, of your audience um, in, in front of you. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the students. Um, one of the reasons why the, the book uh, has taken the shape that it has is because for many years, Edinburgh, I've been teaching a course called France since 1940. So surprise, surprise, it's the same same chronological parameters mm. as, as, uh, as the book. Um, and what I did, and one of the reasons I wanted to credit students, and actually most of the students are undergraduate students, they're not postgraduate or PhD students, they're, they're undergraduate students. One of the reasons I wanted to credit them is because I used their questions over the years as one of the the, the bases of, of of my analysis. So, mm. um, for instance, um, I have been asked many times over the years, not surprisingly, because I, I teach predominantly British students, you know, why the French have such a, a strange attitude towards religion and uh, Islam and the headscarf and all these sorts of things. And what I found myself doing in class very often is attempting to translate certain concepts and ideas in a way that's intelligible to to that specific audience. So mm-hmm. I think um, undergraduate students or bright undergraduate students, I should say, were were a sort of benchmark audience um, of mine. The other really important thing about audience here is that um, the book is written in English, not in French. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's written in English by somebody, me, who is a, I'm a Franco-British child. I grew up in the UK, but I'm French. My father was French. I, you know, I, I have very strong attachments. And in many ways, France is, is also home for me. So um, I see the role of translation as quite fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that means that this book would probably read very differently i certainly write it very differently if i was writing it for a french audience but i i imagine um i imagined i english an english-speaking audience um, would be reading this book and and so some of the the structures and the ideas and the way i frame things um is built around that so um it's not really it was not really written with uh specialists of france in mind 
But what I wanted to do was provide specialists of France with enough to chew on. I wanted mm -hmm. to give them a few interesting arguments or provocations um, to sustain their interest. It's not a very long book, so I didn't have to sustain their interest for too long. Um, <laughs> but just a few provocations which would engage uh, scholars as well. But that was not my my primary audience. So in a sense, I'm very curious to know what you um, mm -hmm. and others made of 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 the of the synthesis I tried to tried to build. Yeah, no, it was really fascinating to read the book. And, you know, I, I would never attempt such a thing. I mean, it's, I'm so impressed by the, the, the way you've met the challenge of synthesis and managed to do, you know, to write a book that is extremely readable, that is relatively shorter in length to some of the other kinds of books you are, I might write. Um, and, and also covers just enormous amounts of territory thematically and in terms of ideas and questions of politics. So I wanted to ask as a writer and somebody who does a very different type of research and writing a lot of the rest of the time, just sort of in terms of the mechanics, what was it like to not just aim for a, a book that's shorter in length, but, you know, a book that isn't, I'm trying to think of whether I want to say enhanced, you know, full of the richness of citation and notes, or whether I want to say bogged down by that kind of thing where, you know, you're obviously engaging and pulling together ideas from a tremendous and varied secondary literature and the work of other scholars and your own work. You have a further reading section at the end, and it's very clear. I mean, specialists of France in particular, I think, will recognize the moments when you're drawing on the scholarship of, you know, various subfields and even particular people. And you mention by name, you know, certain scholars at different points. But what was that like to write in that way? I think you have to perhaps think in a different key about um, the act of producing scholarship. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you, you focused on writing, because I think writing itself um, takes on even greater importance in a book like this. Mm. Um, so the, the, the actual style, um, the rhythm, the phrasing, um, I, I, I like writing. I've always liked writing um, ever since I was a kid. I, I, I like being able to to work on 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 writing just just the style just a sort of architecture um of uh of of my prose and i think that actually that that's something which helped me a lot because um we have a tendency i think um as diligent academics um to get bogged down in what's behind the prose <laughs> rather than what's on the page mm. right so we're we're always second guessing um, have I mentioned this? Have I covered my back? <laughs> have I given enough evidence for X or Y? Um, and in this book, I mean, the premise was so ridiculous. The premise of writing a book <laughs> about 80, 90 years of French history in 45,000 words. I mean, that's that's barely the length of a, of a master's thesis, right? Um, the, the premise was so ridiculous. In a sense, I felt that I was not entirely, but almost completely exempt from any of these things. And so I could focus on on what actually appeared on the page mm. um, and how I actually moved from one idea to the next. What what sort of insight or what sort of anecdote or what sort of what piece of evidence would allow me to convey the meaning of my argument without either using footnotes or using lots and lots and lots of additional sentences to to make it clear that I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, 
so that that was that was a that was a, a challenge but but i i I thought it was really important, um, and this is a kind of behind-the-scenes insight, but I thought it was really important to write to the length. Um, I mm. didn't write a huge amount and then cut lots of bits mm. out. Um, the book came in, the first draft of the manuscript came in under the word limit, something like 42,000 or something, and I had several thousand more words to play with. And when you're writing for a press like policy, they have... They expect you to be a bit more rigorous about a delivering on time and be sticking to the word limit. So you know the, the understanding was that you, you can't just exceed this by ten thousand words. <laughs> You've got to stay within the rubric. Right. But it actually came in less. So the, the the what you read is very much. It's not the first take, but it's it's nothing was removed. Nothing was taken mm-hmm. out. In the introduction, Emil, you focus the book around the the notion of paradox. So before we go any further, I think it's it's important to lay that sort of found that that complicated and tense foundation for for this book. That this is one of the ways that you've figured out how to do a synthesis without going bonkers um, is to is to pick a kind of way to organize the ideas and to organize the tension between the themes of the of the chapters of the book so why paradox and paradoxes how did you come to that and and how does it sort of work as the the complex spine I guess of of, of this book well I think there's there's a personal answer to that and then a more methodological answer hmm. um to your to your question. Uh, the, the the personal answer is um that this notion of paradox or contradiction um is derived from my own work. Um and uh, as you know, I've been writing about French political culture since the kind of 1960s 1970s for quite a long hmm. time and um one of the things that comes up repeatedly in the scholarship and also in questions that people ask me, not just students, sometimes when I'm giving lectures, people ask these questions is, is what, why is there such a big gap in France between um, what political scientists might call the kind of public philosophy um, and then the, the practice on the ground? Mm. You know, why is it that the French are so attached to big principles, abstract ideas, um, when, you know, you go to France and actually you see things, they, they're a bit like they are in Britain or in Germany or in Spain, or the, the, the empirical realities are not, are not that different. And um, I found that tension, if you like, um, really interesting, Mm. because A, it told me something about how uh, British and North American audiences see France, um, and how they see um, those contradictions between, if you like, theory and practice. Um, But it's also interesting, because it exposes something that I I think, um, is really important to capture if you are interested in explaining how French politics works. And that is you, you've got to explain how the big principles can coexist with the messy reality and how come the messy reality doesn't seem at first sight to inflect the big principles very mm. much. Although, of course, it actually does inflect the big principles. So methodologically, um, the other reason it's very attractive to me is because it allowed me not to tell a singular narrative Mm. right and so there is a big question in synthesis like this about how you anchor your reader right you you can't you can't go completely postmodern crazy (laughs) um on uh, on a a kind of a student 
audience. You can't assume that they're going to know what the Fifth Republic um, was or is. You can't assume they're going to know who de Gaulle was. You can't assume that they're going to know what happened to France in the Second World War. So, so you need a kind of chronological spine. And, and there is that in mm-hmm. the book, even though the book is not actually structured explicitly chronologically. It does sort of progress. Um, and each chapter often begins in an earlier period and moves forward to, to a later mm-hmm. period. But the problem with that chronological uh, structure is, of course, it, it creates this very univocal narrative because everything seems to happen um, sequentially. Mm-hmm. Things seem to have this kind of internal logic because you're writing it in a chronological way. And what Paradox did for me in this book was it allowed me to tell the other stories um, the what the stories that um, lay at odds with the core the core narrative so as you know the, the book um, is structured around these chapters and these chapters each take a paradox defeat and resistance mm-hmm. colonialism and anti-colonialism so putting juxtaposing those two things together and, and calling them a paradox is also a way of highlighting that there are very different ways to interpret a particular period or particular moment and i think that's methodologically interesting in general but i also think it's interesting for students if you assign them a chapter from this book um they're going to get two very different readings of a similar thing mm-hmm. Um, in that same chapter. And that, I hope, might provide uh, the basis for a productive in-class discussion about which of those readings seems more valid or, 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 or more interesting or more powerful. Something else that's impressive about the book is, again, you know, we've said a few times that it's a shorter book, but it, it, it accomplishes many things. And it also is set up, I think, that it is a book that can be read as a whole, but not necessarily. I mean, you wouldn't have to do it that way, that that you could pull out the chapter on um, colonialism and anti-colonialism, let's say. And because of that internal kind of st- structure of each chapter that begins in an earlier period and kind of moves uh, towards the, the 21st century in, in, in most cases. And was that a challenge or did you set out to do that? How, how did that work out <laughs> quite so well? Um, well, I'm glad it worked out well, um, because that's n- not uh, what I would have uh, necessarily said while I was writing them. <laughs> um, I, I did I did set out to make it like that, and that was not part of the commission. I, I don't think, I don't think there was, there was an expectation on the part of the editors at Polity that I would make the chapters freestanding chapters, or potentially freestanding chapters. But when I began to think through the structure of the book, um, that's something that I thought could be really beneficial. And the chapters are very short, and so they can be assigned potentially as as reading Mm -hmm. to students. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be useful to give them a certain degree of internal coherence so that they could be read in isolation. Now, that, of course, raises all kinds of very, very, you know, difficult, nitty-gritty questions about how much you repeat yourself and how much you don't. And, and this is something that I, I try to work out in the editing stage because, um, you know, you, you don't want to keep repeating, I don't know, for instance, why, why, why the Fifth Republic came into being, mm-hmm. but that's relevant to several chapters. So you have to kind of find a way to tell enough of the story at each time that it's not completely disorientating. But, but, but I think that, that, Several of the chapters um, were the chapter on, on the left and right, for instance. Um, that that's a chapter that was conceived very much as a standalone thing. That that could be really that could be read 
as um as as a kind of single intervention but i think that the book is still better if you read it from start mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about these chapters and the the themes and the tensions that you pursue in in the book so there's this you know introduction where you set things up uh, in terms of thinking about France as a as a paradoxical nation, then you've got you know the first chapter on defeat and resistance, the second on colonialism and anti-colonialism, the third on grandeur and decline, the fourth that you just mentioned on left and right, the fifth on the republic and its discontents, and a sixth chapter before a conclusion uh, on local citizens in a global state, and then that conclusion is is called an uncertain future. So. There, table of contents. Um, how did you figure out which, well, it's six, but it's also sort of 12 because you've got two in each one um, to to pursue in this book and the, the order of things, which does, as you say, I mean, the book does kind of creep ahead towards uh, the present as you know, internally, there's a chronology and there's a kind of chronological move forward um, in each of the chapters. But, you know, the defeat and resistance seems like a logical place to start because this is a France since 1940 book and you have to deal with the war before you go anywhere else. But how did you how did you sort out which themes to pursue and 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 what order ultimately to to pursue them in? Um, so some of it was was trial and error in the planning process, thinking about what would work, um, and some of it was driven by this desire to provide the basic chronological spine of the book. So um, as you say, defeat and resistance, it was an obvious place to start. Um, you have to deal with the war somehow. Um, I, I don't think I could have written a book about contemporary France without talking about the Second World War. Um, and so I wanted to find a way to sort of tell that story um, while nevertheless pointing towards some of the, the, the themes that then get developed much more later in the book. So um, defeat and resistance, that, that chapter is not just about the war. Um, it is, it's about, in a sense, the kind of the, the, the big ideas, mm-hmm. the big structures of thought and practice that emerge from 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 the Second World War and this 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 tension, which is visible today, um, between you know the, the the sense that France is a defeated, um, a reduced uh, power, um, and the sense that France and the French must resist. What they resist varies, and you know, over time, but 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 the notion of resistance has become very deeply embedded in French political culture. So um, I, I I thought that would be a nice way to start. And then after that, the the next um, the next chapters on colonialism and anti-colonialism provides a second what I would call deep context for the mm-hmm. book, and that's uh, you know the French Empire. Um, so if the war is one deep context, you know, the war where it comes from, what it does, the colonial period and then a decolonization provides a, a, a second deep context. And actually this is the way I frame it for, for students on my course is that you know these are the, these two kind of deep contexts and then you're going to move on in the course to look at how those those deep contexts affect other aspects of, of French history after that. So um, in a sense those two chapters in my mind belonged um, at the start to provide that base mm-hmm. for readers. Uh, that anchor. Now, then, after that, there are um, uh, uh, the chapters deal perhaps with more specifically with themes. So, grandeur and decline is my way of trying to treat De Gaulle and Gaullism and the legacy of Gaullism without putting 
the general in the title of the chapter is very difficult because de Gaulle sort of dominates and, and wanted to dominate um, his age. So I tried as a step back from that and think in terms of grandeur and decline. But th- that's very clearly trying to address that that Gaullist moment. The left and the right is, is one of the chapters that kind of stands most by itself, but that's an attempt to to capture the 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 political push and pull of post-war France. You know, what do the left and the right mean in this country that bequeathed these terms to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the final two chapters on, on French republicanism and on local citizens and global state, uh, those are more obviously dealing with the period from the 1970s to the present day. You know, the resurgence of republicanism in France and what that means and what the consequence of that have been. Um, and then... The, the crisis of the state um, uh, since the 1970s, 1980s, um, a, a pan-European crisis of the state. So it's not France is not unusual in this, but but because the French, the, the French project of reconstruction after the war was so state-driven, um, the crisis of the state is felt very acutely in France. So the first two chapters, deep context, the middle two chapters covering a lot of the stuff I think people should know, and then the final two chapters trying to do justice historically to the very recent past, which is actually one of my few criticisms of uh, the existing syntheses that are out there, um, written by historians, is they tend to lose a lot of momentum in the 1970s, 1980s, Mm. and they're they're not able to account for some of the big changes that happen after that. That's the area, the period I know best, and I wanted to try and give a proper account of that period that fitted in with much better known themes and processes from before. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that is really interesting to me about the book, I mean, that you were finishing in the, I don't know, when were you, were you finishing this in April, May, 2020? When, when was this? I finished, I finished the manuscript um, days before lockdown. In fact, I had that sort of sense of, of dread that something really bad was going right. to happen. And I started sort of really panicking to finish it. And I did turn in the first draft of the manuscript um, in March. I, I really felt that when I read that last part of the book that, I mean, I was already sort of, nostalgia is definitely not the right word. Um, I was always, you know, recognizing what, you know, was over a year ago, sometimes feels like 35 years ago. Um, but that sort of real sense of that immediate moment. And there is that, that, I got that feeling reading that that ending of the book when when you were clearly writing, you know, during that those initial moments. And I guess I wonder, not the pandemic specifically, but I wonder, you, you know, you do reach for the present in certain ways throughout the book. And I think, as you say, those those chapters where you that you where you wanted to do justice to the period of the seventies and eighties and kind of move uh, towards the twenty first century. Are, are very important ones, but I feel like the whole book has a, a very speaking to the present and uh, excavating the present quality to it. Maybe that's just my reading. And I wondered how much you felt that that was your mission, writing this book. How much do you, did you feel like what you're doing is explaining or you know, setting people up to understand France in 2021, setting people to understand, this is my sneaky <laughs> way of saying, setting people to understand the presidential election upcoming. Like what, how, how much did you feel those things while you were working on this? Yeah, I think I've, I've always felt those 
those things i that that's you know that's how i i i have taught this period of history um that's how i've written about um many of the things that i have written about it's interesting because the conclusion right the conclusion where i talk about covid was written in august i mm. think um and it was written in the copy editing state and the copy editor said would you like to change the beginning of your conclusion or would you like to change your conclusion to take into account covid and and my first response was no i don't want to do that because i want this book to stand as this is where france was in march 2020 but but in the end i i, I realized that 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 wouldn't make sense because most of the readers um you know engaging with this book would, would come to it um in if not necessarily the the, the end of certainly the, the 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 kind of tail end of uh, of the sort of pandemic frenzy and that i i needed to say mm. something about that and i needed to particularly to say something about the conclusions that i was drawing in relation to that so so obviously i'm looking towards certain things the 2022 presidential election um uh you know the the different uh, processes social processes seem to be happening the gilet jaune where's where where's the the energy of the gilet jaune movement going to go i mean i was very interested in that so so yes i hope that the book has enough kind of historical meat that um it doesn't come across as as too much of a slave to the present but but i think it's a difficult balance. I certainly wanted to bring people in by by addressing the present in some way, but it's a difficult it's a difficult balance. You've said a few times, Emil, you know that there that <laughs> it's interesting. Every, all these things working in twos, you know, that there's this kind of more personal reason for doing something, and then like a methodological or scholarly reason or whatever. And I, I guess I wonder with a book like this in particular, and this is probably just a general question for you in, in your work overall, like what do you do with your own politics <laughs> when you're working on something like this or just in general, you know, <laughs> when you're writing and doing this kind of work? Um, where uh, I, I think I know a little bit about you, so I think I, I see them here and there and um, in the, in the way that the project comes together as a whole. But what do you, what do you think about that? The, the way your own political inclinations and perspectives are in this book or not? Well, there are different models of, uh, of sort of scholarly engagement. Um, And, you know, what one, one model is, um, which is a very common model, particularly on the left um, is, uh, that scholarship should be part of a political project that 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 the scholarship you do both the research and then the the kind of the production whatever that might be a text or a video or a film or you know whatever format it takes um should be part of that political project in other words there has to be uh, a a connection between um the individual sort of political engagement and the the scholarly scholarly output um I don't subscribe to that view um, because I have always found it very difficult to know exactly what my individual <laughs> politics are. And so then trying to map that onto scholarly output seems uh, particularly perilous in, in my case. Um, and I, I tend to be driven by questions that I find really interesting. Um, and that's actually true of my more obviously scholarly monographic work as well. Um, I've, I've always been interested in certain kind of 
issues or questions. I can normally tell you for any given article or any given book of mine, um, I can tell you what the question or questions were that drove um, the book. Um, it was in very few cases was it that material, the material I found drove the project. It was usually a set of questions and then I found material to, to, to work and fit around that. And so I think it's the questions that I ask in this book that give it the structure. But of course, those questions are are political, mm. and and there are there are political gestures in the book, um, uh, you know, from uh, you know whether that in, whether that's right at the beginning when I talk about paradox and you know well what does what does paradox really mean um, all the way through to the end when you know I I I I, I quote a famous sixty eight slogan um, as the last mm-hmm. sort of sentence of the book. Um, there's there's a sort of <laughs> There's, there's a sense of, kind of political engagement, but I think because I don't share that model of thoroughgoing engagement, the sort of the, the intellectual engagé, to use a sort of very French uh, formulation, because I, I don't share that model, um, I always enjoy pushing back against some of the sort of more uh, comfortable narrative. So to give an example, in the chapter on the left and the right, um, I try to take the right seriously mm. um and in the period that that i'm writing about the scholarship on the right tends to be um much much less substantial there's some really good writing about the right but there's very little of it whereas the left there is no shortage mm-hmm. of books and analyses and essays and articles produced by foreign scholars and by the french themselves you know, there's a sort of there's there's, there's almost a kind of you know excess of that kind of scholarship and in this in this book, I want to say, oh, no, look, if you read the history of post-war France through the lens of the left, this is what you get. But if you le- if you read that same history through the lens of the right, it doesn't look the same. Um, and it's really important that we acknowledge and recognise it doesn't look the same, um, even if those views or those opinions in their own context are opinions or views or positions that I would have been opposed mm-hmm. to. I, 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 I suppose I'm... To put it in a, in a very in very blunt terms, I suppose I'm a bit more British here than, than <laughs> French, right? Um, I have that that belief that I can step away and I can play with the the different political ideas I have, rather than letting them sort of lead uh, lead the project. Throughout this book, Emil, you are, you know, bringing together historical events, many decades of French history and politics, and you're synthesizing that. That, that history and pursuing it through these, these tensions and, and, and contradictions, you're also synthesizing and pulling together and pulling from uh, tremendous bodies of scholarship. And so I guess I wondered, and you know, looking at the, for the reading section, I wondered if you could say a little bit about how you see this book as, this is all we had, you know, <laughs> your book, France, what would it say and what did you want it to say about the current state of the field? Um, and I'm thinking in particular about, uh, you know, some of the ways in which our field has been vastly, you know, transformed by the insights of, in particular, um, work on race, work on empire, work on sexuality, on gender, all of these other things, you know, of the last several decades that have made what political 
history and the the presentation and study of politics uh, an entirely new thing, at least for those who were, you know, and I think we both are <laughs> interested in listening and paying attention and and changing accordingly. So, yeah, I guess I wonder how, if you did, you know, you imagine this book as we're not reading your notes every five seconds, like, but, but how do you think about this book as a book that is a response to, or a, a kind of collection or presentation of like the field of the history of France uh, since 1940? I, I think I was trying to do justice to the really new and exciting stuff that's coming out while still recognizing the sort of the greatest hits. Um, mm. And one of the interesting things about uh, about writing a synthesis is that you're not you're not expected to be new all the time. Right? You don't have to start by justifying your project in terms of its novelty. Mm. You know, this has never been done before. I mean, for me to say that nobody has ever written a synthesis of post-war France before would be um, would be an act of, uh, of, of, of tremendous uh, stupidity. So I, I would I would never be able to say anything like that. So instead, it was a question of thinking: what do I want to keep, and what do I want to um, you know, what do I want to change? And I, I suppose the first thing to say is that I wanted to try and um, write about politics in the most kind of dynamic and open way possible. Mm. Um, this is not a book about regimes and presidents and constitutions. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> it, there's, there is, there is coherence to those, those, those meta concepts and meta moments, but I didn't want to 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 write about that because I actually don't think. I mean, this is generally. I don't think politics is 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 primarily about that. Mm. I think that's very important part of of how politics works in any democratic society. But I think politics is also about argument it's also about uh, feeling and emotion it's also about power and i think perhaps power is a theme that runs through this book i'm interested in the exercise of power and i'm interested in those who contest it um and i don't think that power is located only in one place um for this whole period um that i deal with in the book um nor do i think that it's necessarily only in one place at a single moment it could be in multiple places and if there's any kind of deep methodological process at work in in the book it it's it's that you'll see that throughout the book i'm interested in who has power and who is 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 contesting or resisting that power um and that allows me to bring in some of this really exciting new scholarship mm -hmm. um because thinking about who contests power um gets you to think about marginality gets you to think about inside outside dynamics gets you to think about race it gets you to think about class it gets you to think about about gender it gets you to think about um, geography uh, on geography actually this is this is the only book with three maps in it and I had a big <laughs> struggle with uh, the editors to persuade them that the book needed not just a map of of the country which is standard in every uh, um, volume uh, in this series but also a map of the French Empire in I think 1931 and then a map of the French overseas territories now I was very committed to this as a kind of political act at the beginning of the book to put these different maps but but that that was a way of, of flagging 
in a sense, my my debt to this scholarship mm-hmm. um, that has tried to expand our view of um, how power is has been wielded in, in contemporary France, and then also who has tried to to take back uh, bits of power. And I, as I said, I don't believe in a sort of a, in a straightforward link or in a you know I talk a lot about states, state and citizen, the clash between state and citizen in France, which is obviously foundational in this period. But it takes many different forms at different moments. So um, I, I think I mean that, that's the most obvious way in which mm. I, I try to integrate this different scholarship. Um, more broadly, I think I'm, I'm I'm I've been really interested in in seeing in my uh, you know in the period that I've been a scholar of France how how empire and race have have emerged um, as kind of key concepts in the field. Um, what that brings us, it brings us a lot. Um, there are things that it obscures as mm. well, um, and uh, there are things that get forgotten. Um, and I think perhaps in this book um, there are things which have been forgotten, for instance, rural life in France, uh, which are very unfashionable now, and which there's very little you know, writing and people don't really engage with with that subject very much at the moment. Um, and uh, with the exception of Sarah Farmer's really interesting mm-hmm. book, um, uh, Rural Inventions. But there are areas where there are ways in which I think that the book will also reflect its moment. That in twenty years or thirty years, if a young graduate student picks up this book, they will see that it's a product of the of the twenty tens, twenty twenties. So um, I'm also aware of of, of that dimension. Mm-hmm. Well, I I want to ask you about the the way you close the book, come back to that question, Emil, and how, you know, those last two chapters that really do move towards the 21st century, towards the present, and then, yeah, the, the, you, you, you move towards the future, uh, towards the end of the project. And, you know, by setting it out again, less as a, a, in a way, all your chapters are doing this in the book, you know, as a set of questions, um, and by that self-reflexive move of like, what does it mean to ask about uh, the future from where you're you're sitting and writing um, in, in, in where you were in 2020? And so how I guess I wonder about that, you know, how you think about a book like this is participating in something predictive. I'm going to bring us back to the presidential election uh, coming up because I know that you get asked and you do engage with the you know and that kind of political commentary and so where where does this book take you and take the reader in terms of being ready to think about and interpret and uh maybe even anticipate some things about what could be lying ahead for france in the next i don't know year or so (laughs) you say you don't want to predict at the end of the book but i'm gonna ask you to do a little bit of what do you think what do you think the book does to set people up to, to ask that question? I hope that the book gives people tools to think about some of the political dynamics that are very visible in France at the mm. moment. So one obvious topic, which comes back again and again and again, especially in the English language um, media universe, is the far mm. right France um, and the, the Front National as it was now obviously the, the Rassemblement National I must say I must find it difficult to give them their new name <laughs> Same. Um, I, I think I'm too I'm too much I'm too sort of stuck in that in that kind of 1980s mold that, that's when I learned about the FN and that they, they would always be yeah. that for me but but 
it's a question that comes up a lot, especially since 2016. Uh, it's a question that's come up a lot because of because of Trump and you know because of the the, the supposed populist turn and so on. And one one thing that that readers of this book um, could get in relation to that particularly um, uh, topical issue is that, believe it or not, the French have been thinking about this for a really long time, and um, even the I mean, of course. The far right as a phenomenon has very deep roots in French history, and, you know, all the way back in many ways to the, the French Revolution, which provides that sort of crucible, the 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 the, the, the original sin, um, uh, you know, for 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 the far right was always the, the revolution and what what it entailed. So um, there's a very long history of that, and this is not at all something something new. And even in the the more recent past, um, you know, the, the Front National have been around since. The 1970s, and they've been politically important um, in France since the 1980s, um, and that's that's now more than three decades. Right, you, you have more than one generation of political activists, um, particularly political activists of the left, but also of the right, who have tried and mostly failed to come up with strategies to deal with the far right. And I, I try to sort of make that point in the book that. Um, the far right is in France not something completely new. It's not something you know um, terrifying. A lot of the, the the English language media like to sort of talk about oh what happens if Marine Le Pen becomes president. So, but th- there's an assumption in much of that that writing that um, the French are very naive um, and that they don't know what the far right means. But actually, that's not true. Mm. And one of the things I found actually most interesting about the recent regional elections in France, and I happen to to be in France um, mm. uh, for those for those elections is the extent to which actually um, the, the, the Front National, the Rassemblement National, has sort of become an ordinary political party. They're, they're, they're just there. They kind of have their moment in the sun. They do well. They don't do well. Um, they were hammered by the abstention in the last election, just like all the other parties were hammered by abstention. Um, and so, you know, if we're thinking forward to 2022 and then thinking about this book, um, I, I mean, I genuinely think 2022 is very, very uncertain. I, I, I cannot call with any great certainty the outcome mm. of that election. I think it could go four different ways. I don't think Macron is a shoo-in um, to be to be re-elected. I think it could well be a right-wing president. It could even be a left-wing president, or that seems quite unlikely to be at the moment, but it's not impossible. And the 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 one of the messages from 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 this book is is that French the French people are extremely politically literate mm. um, and they have a very very deep experience of these sorts of political debates um, some of the ones that I characterize in, in the book and and that means that they understand the stakes of what they're doing of they they understand how different elections relate to each other they understand how different bits of the executive relate to relate to each other who's important and who's not um and i think that's that's really really important for for non-french audiences to to understand of course if this book was written for a french audience i'd be saying something different but um i try to 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 share in this book my understanding of some of those debates which which are, are very common and very widespread in in, in French society as a way of giving outsiders a roadmap to what's going on so they can they can they can pick out certain discussions and debates and 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 think about them in a much longer 
much longer context. I've noticed that you've had conversations and you know various kinds of, uh, I think, all online. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know if you had a chance to where you're, where things are at now in terms of uh, people gathering in person, but events to discussions with people about the book since it's come out. And I just wonder how that's gone. You know, what kind of feedback you've gotten and uh, and and how the book has enabled you to have conversations with you know scholars of France and others. Like, what what sense have you had of your readership so far and Anything stick out for you that you'd want to share with our listeners? Well, um, uh, Roxanne, you probably know that um, alongside this book, um, my other big project, the one which will eventually result in another book, but this one seems many, many years away, <laughs> um, is uh, an intellectual biography of Eric Hobsbawm, um, the, the great Marxist historian. And mm-hmm. um, one of the really fascinating personal things about writing the book on France was I suddenly understood why Hobsbawm got so high on writing for um, a, a large audience, why he got such a thrill from doing that and why he did it again and again and again and again and again. And of course, intellectually, I had understood that, right? But, but suddenly I realised what it meant to produce something that people would read <laughs> Um, and might pick up in in a bookshop and say, all right, I, this looks cool and it costs, you know, less than £10, I, I'm going to buy it. And, and you, when I when I sort of have been reading about Hobsbawm over the years, I, I've I've always sensed that he, he got a kind of, he got a real kick out of this. He, he, he loved random people coming up to him in the street and saying, I read your book when I was a student and it was amazing, it changed my life. And, and I'm not saying anybody has told me that this book has changed their life, but... But the fact that I've been able to have conversations with very different kinds of people mm-hmm. um, has been a real joy. And writing a book like this, which is really short, which is really accessible, I mean, I don't feel bad asking people to read it uh, because it really doesn't take long <laughs> um, to read. So many people can find their own way through this book. It doesn't require that kind of prior knowledge, doesn't require a sort of scholarly apparatus. Um, that then the responses I've got have been have been have been fascinating. And primarily the responses I've got have been from from scholars, because obviously I've done these online book mm-hmm. events and and I've had people commenting on, on the book and so on. Um and so you know, in those contexts I've had questions like, you know, why why did you write about the nation state you know why why did you choose this kind of framework now obviously i didn't have a mm-hmm, choice this was mm-hmm. what um, this is what i was asked to do but but nevertheless you know writing about france you know the title of the book um <laughs> seems to go against the grain of a lot of the sort of global and transnational uh, tendency that that's been been really sort of transformative for the field in the last 20 20 25 years um so it's been very interesting to talk about you know why i think writing about the nation state Qua nation state, but the actual kind of the thing of the nation state, why that's still interesting and why it's still important, and why why in the case of France particularly it, it's mm-hmm. important. Um, so so I've had interesting discussions like that, and then you know then more more broadly um, with the few people who are beyond the sort of the the realm of, of academia, the people who have read the book, um, the the greatest sort of compliment has been to be told that you know this. This helped me understand something I didn't understand. Mm. Um, that now, I, you know, it fills in the gaps. 
Um, and and that the reason I've I get very touched by that is because that's what I was trying to do. I, I, this is not a comprehensive introduction to France. What it is is it, is it's an attempt to string together different bits of France that people might know about potentially just by visiting right they might see um, they might have taken a Digivir train and wondered why France has such nice trains um, or they might have um, you know gone to uh, um, uh, 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 you know gone to a gite and they've driven past a, 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 a lorry load of oranges being burnt on the motorway in the south mm-hmm. of France like why are farmers so mm-hmm. angry in France mm-hmm. compared to elsewhere right so it it by I wanted to sort of write something that would that would that would give people a way of connecting those isolated experiences to um, the much kind of broader sweep of French history. So so when people tell me that, that's 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 always a huge, uh, a huge compliment. Well, that's really wonderful. And I, I can say that as someone who is allegedly a specialist of of of. French history, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book, um, thinking about how you wrote the book, now speaking with you about it. So, Emile, I just want to thank you so much for, for, for doing this, for speaking with me and, and for writing the book. Well, it's been a it's been a huge pleasure. Um, writing the book was not always a pleasure, but but talking about it has almost always been a pleasure. <laughs>